lives. Most people won't even study their changed lives. And I could take time and tell you that. So what does Satan do? Satan wants you not to feel good about yourself. That's what he wants. Because if you don't feel good about yourself, listen, it affects everything about you. It does. When you don't feel good about your relationship with God and Jesus Christ, it affects your attitude. And some of you know, man, your attitude gets stinking. It affects your actions. Some of you know, because you don't feel like that relationship is good, you're choosing to do the wrong things. And you know what it does? It affects your countenance. Why? Just how you look. You can't smile anymore. You got too many bills. You can't smile anymore. Somebody hasn't been loyal to you. You can't smile anymore. You feel all alone. See your attitude. And who in the world would want what you got if that's the way you are? People just won't take it. I sit down, tell them about Jesus. They have to see something in us. And God, when, when, when we receive Christ as Lord, God has us in a place to grow. He brings us change. And so what does Satan do? He starts attacking us. He starts attacking us. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about a person who becomes a Christian, but who now doesn't feel like they have a very good relationship with God, and they don't deserve to go to heaven. If somebody would ask him, are you going to heaven? They'd say, I, I don't know. I just don't feel so good about my life as a Christian. Matter of fact, I, I don't even know if it was real. That's what I want to talk about, okay? So I want you to look at the first blank on your message map, okay? God wants us to know we are going to heaven. I want you to understand that. God wants every one of his children to know that. He wants us to know we're going to heaven. Okay? He doesn't want to leave us out in the dark. He doesn't want us saying, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. He wants us to know we're going to heaven. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and then start coming back to the left very slowly. You're going to pass Jude just before the book of Revelation, probably half a page, one page in your Bible, and then you're going to hit 3 John. I want you to go to 1 John. Not the Gospel of John. Don't go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John, 1 John, the fifth chapter. I want you to look there. If you got those New Testaments, it's page 211. Page 211. You know, when connection has its permanent place and we put Bibles out, I'm convinced. I want us to buy us some Bibles, okay? I want us to put those out. That way I can always say turn to the page, okay? But if you got the New Testament, it's page 211. 1 John 5, 13. If you don't have the New Testament, you don't have your Bible, look on the screen. Let's look at that verse. Uh, let's pull the verse up. 1 John. It says, the, the John is writing. He says, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's Christians. See, they believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Now, John has written this about 60 years after Jesus has gone back to be with the Father. Okay? So what we have, we have basically second-generation Christians. We have people who have come to believe in Jesus. Okay, the first generation would have been people who come to Jesus because they talked to people who talked to Jesus. Don't you wish you could talk to someone who talked to Jesus? Can't happen. Not yet. And then the second generation were people who came to Jesus because they talked to someone who had talked to someone. But they were accepting what someone tells them now. And so John is writing. He's the last living disciple of Jesus. So he's writing to these, these Christians that are basically second-generation Christians. And he knows because there was a teaching in their society that nobody can know for sure whether they have a relationship with God. Okay? It's the same thing some people want to tell us today. And so John, who was tight with Jesus, John, who was the Bible tells us, the gospel tells us, was the only apostle that the Bible identifies being at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. John, who Jesus looks down and says, hey, take care of my mother, okay, John? John was the one Jesus called the beloved apostle. John and Jesus were tight, okay? And so if anybody knew Jesus, it was John. And John writes to these Christians, he says, I have written this, look only at verse 13 now, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. In other words, these people are being bombarded with all kinds of other words from other people who are uncertain, and so their feelings were saying, I don't know if I'm a Christian. 
And John is saying, I want you to understand something. I am writing this not to people who don't know Jesus. I'm writing this to people who know Jesus. I'm writing this to people who claim to have a faith relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord of their lives. Why is he saying he's writing this to them? So that you may know you have eternal life. You see, God wants us to know for certain. Feeling will say, I'm, I'm not sure. And what we need to do when feeling is there, we need to go to God's word. Look, I don't have time to tell you, but whenever my oldest son found out about divorce, because his closest friend was getting divorced, there at our breakfast table, he cried, and he says, how do I know you and mom won't get a divorce? And we're all sitting at the breakfast table, and I said, you do not have any assurance, except, and I put a long pause there before I said except, because I wanted his attention, except mom and I have made a commitment in Jesus Christ, we will never, ever part in our marriage. That's the only thing you have, the commitment made in Jesus Christ. Now, he understands that now, see? You understand what I'm saying? In other words, there's been days, and I explained to him, days when I feel I don't love your mother anymore, and she feels I don't love you anymore, Mike. And we talk about those feelings, and then we do the things that we need to do so that the feelings don't run our lives, but our relationship does. And when you don't feel like you belong to God, that you're going to go to heaven, that Jesus Christ is Lord, you've got to realize Satan is using feelings. God created them. Don't deny feelings, but Satan is using them, and you've got to use God's word. The relationship with Jesus Christ through his word to bring you what you need, the power. It is through his word that power comes. That's why, listen, you come to connection. We are always into the word. We are always. I have because this church is full of a lot of people who've never been to church. I have so much pulled us into the word. Where I used to be in the traditional church and they'd get bored with the word. And you say, really? Yeah, they don't like to go verse by verse, word by word. Somebody says, oh, that's not true. It is. I pastored them for many years. Because it's the word that confronts our feelings. That's why when, when God says, I transform you to a new person by changing the way you think, you got to get the word in there. Not your opinion or my opinion, but the word. And you know, I've been with some of you, when you paid attention and concentrated on the word, it started changing your life. Life looked better. And then all of a sudden, you get caught up in your old way. And you forget that word. And you just can't get it by a guy preaching to you. You've got to get involved and engage it. And it is the word we are to use. Now, let me give you an illustration. Okay. We are a house, or the Bible calls us we are a temple. But we don't use those terminologies today. The Bible says when you become a Christian, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to understand what you are when you become a Christian, when Jesus becomes Lord, you are a house, and in you lives the Spirit of God. And God wants you to let that house be exposed to other people. So they will look at your spiritual house and they say, I like your house. I'd like to have a house like yours. And you tell them, Jesus Christ is what made the difference in my house. Are you following with me? Okay. So now what happens is Satan's like a common crook. Okay, he wants to get in and mess your house up because if you have a messed up house, what happens is you won't feel comfortable with bringing people into your spiritual house. So Satan wants to mess up your spiritual house right here. And he does that by saying, you're not a Christian. Come on. I know you're sure you see Christ when you're a teenager or a kid or adult. But look how you're living. You're not a Christian. Oh, man. See, he messes up your spiritual house. I call that the front door of the spiritual house, the assurance of our salvation. John knew that. That's why he said, I write these things to you who believe on the name of the Son of God so that you may have this assurance that you have eternal life. Heaven is your home. You have a relationship with God. Okay? Now, why do I do this? Whenever I lived in Kansas City, I'm, I'm, I'm latter 20s, just beginning my third decade of life. And on the... I can't, WKCMO or something like that, the Kansas City radio station, main radio station, they started warning people. Now, this is in the, this is in the 70s, okay? 73, 74, something like that. They started warning people. They said, now, now you people that are living in the suburbs, living outside the city, you've left your doors unlocked. Now, you can remember that. Remember a day when we did that? Okay, they said the city folks have learned they've got to lock their doors. 
but you've got to lock your doors because what they, they would tell people, the radio, what will happen is somebody, a crook, will come up and they'll knock on your front door or push your doorbell. If somebody comes to the door, they make some kind of talk and then they leave. Uh, did Mike Davis live here? No, okay, I got the wrong house. They leave. But if nobody answers the door, they try the doorknob. And if the door opens, they go in. And they take what they can that can't be seen. They put it in their pocket. They rummage your house with the valuables. They take it. And then they leave. And any neighbor that saws them thinks, you invited them in. Nobody broke in, see? So they said, lock your front doors. We know the, the authorities are telling us this is how people are now stealing from homes. So people started locking their, their front doors. Listen, I was in Kansas City area for three years. By the time I left, they started announcing on the radio. Now, this is great. You're locking your front door. You people out in the suburbs got to realize people in the towns, they know in the cities, they know lock the door, lock the front door, lock the back door. And so they told people, lock the patio door and the back door because what people are doing, we're getting reports of people stealing from folks. They're going to the front door. They're ringing the doorbell, knocking the door. Nobody answers. So they just gingerly walk around to the next door, okay, the back door, and they try it. And if it's unlocked, they go in. And you people are doing that where you park your car, where your garage is, you're leaving a lock. They go in, they look at your valuables, what they can put in their pocket, what they can keep hidden, and then they'll leave. They did this in Kansas City on the main radio station. Okay? And so this is what Satan does. He knows you're a house, and he knows the front door of your house. Okay? The front door of your house is being sure of your salvation. Look at the second blank on your message map the first thing satan does is he says you are not saved that's the first thing he does now somebody says how do you know this because i've counseled too many christians people who are honest will tell me you see some christians won't be honest they won't talk about it. you know sometimes i doubt and i understand usually they're around my age because i grew up in a church say if you ever doubt you're not really saved dumbest statement i ever heard as i've grown in the lord satan is always trying to create doubt and he says, you are not saved. And you go, oh, no, maybe I'm not saved. Satan says, yeah, you're not saved. Oh, maybe I'm not saved. And your house is in a mess. And somebody says, hey, I'd like to know about Jesus. Don't talk to me. Go talk to the pastor. See, your kid says, talk to me about Jesus. You say, oh, let's call the pastor. See, because you're in a mess. You don't have any assurance, any certainty that you are a Christian. Now, look there on page 211 of the, those New Testaments, or look on the screen, 1 John 5, look at verse 11 and 12. We read verse 13. 13 tells us why John wrote 1 John, okay? He writes in verse 11 and 12, he says, and this is what God has testified. What has God testified? God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Now, look what God has testified. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the son, God's Son does not have life. When Satan comes to the front door of your house and he says, you don't really think you're a Christian, do you? Come on, just by praying that silly prayer when you were a kid. Come on, you're not a Christian. You need, because your feeling is saying, I don't feel like a Christian, you need to take God's word. I had to memorize this whenever I was like 21 years old. Lived in rebellion from about 14 to 19, then got married, and then got out of the house. Whenever I'm 20, no, not 21, I'm 20 years old. I had to memorize this in Kentucky. Whenever I got a wife, and man, I'm not sure about marriage, I'm not sure about life, and I'm wanting to go back to the crud of rebellion. And some guys met me, and they told me, you know, Mike, you just got to have confidence in your salvation. Well, how do I get that? Through the Word. So I would use the Word when Satan would come to me. I'd say, listen, this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. I may not feel so good about my way I'm living, but God has testified he has given us eternal life. If you have the Son, you have life. If you do not have the Son of God, you do not have life. Satan, I have the Son of God. I know I made that commitment. That door shuts. It will shut for five seconds. It will shut for five minutes. It will shut for five hours. It will shut for five days. It will sh shut for five months. Because you see, Satan will come back when he knows you're not willing to use God's word when you won't believe it and I would quote that so many times for two to three years and I'd find relief you see because that's the power of God 
That's the power of God. And you need, you need to memorize 1 John 5, 11, 12. You need to get it in your mind so that you can just share it with the devil. The devil can't stand up to God's word. The Bible tells us that. He can't. You, no problem. Me, no problem. He even tried to encounter Jesus. Remember Jesus' temptations and what did Jesus do? Did he rationalize? Did he say, I feel? No. He says, God says, God says, God says. In all three of the temptations, Satan leaves him alone. And you know what the Bible says? The angels came and ministered to Jesus. And that's what he'll do to you. If you will use God's word, his power from his spirit will come and minister to you. And that door will be shut if you will trust that word. So you need to learn it. And Satan says, okay, now here's Mike Davis's life, and he shut this door with God's word. What do I do? He locked the front door. When I told you they warned us about Kansas City, he goes around to the back door of your spiritual house. In here, see, he goes to the back door. The next thing he does, look at the second blank on your message map. The next thing Satan does is he says, Christians do not sin. Now, let me tell you how he did this. I'm telling you from my own life, and I'm telling you from hundreds. I mean literally hundreds of people that I've talked to that are Christians in counseling with this, okay? He goes, he, he goes to the back door, and he says, okay. Now, you tell me you're a Christian, and you quote God's word. You say God said this. This is what God has testified, that God has given you eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And if you have the Son, you have eternal life. And if you don't have the Son of God, you don't have eternal life. Okay. But let me ask you this now, Mike you do what you do how can you keep sinning i mean you just don't do it once oh you tell god you're sorry but you do it again man if people knew the things you did they knew the thoughts you have how come if you're a christian you think those thoughts you say those words you do those actions in other words he's saying how come you're a sinner i thought you was a christian and the world really backs that up because the world says yeah i've met all those christian hypocrites i'm telling you i is one of them And so are you. That's why I don't understand how God allows me that assurance that I'm going to go to heaven. I don't deserve it. Neither do you. But Satan uses that against you. He says, if you're, you're a Christian, how come you're so sinful? Oh, man, I shared that with my guys. Man, they were the people God was using to help me. Just like God wants to use connection to help you. See? And I had to be around them. My wife would tell you, I'd tell her, I don't want to be around those guys. I don't need to hear them. But I had to because they knew things in the Bible that I didn't know. And I began to apply one or two of those things. Man, so much was coming into my life, so much power. And so I, I talked with them, and they led me to another verse. You're in 1 John. Look to the first chapter, page 209 in your New Testament. First chapter, ninth verse. Now, it's part of a context. But I just want to use the ninth verse, okay? Look on the screen if you don't have your Bible. It says, but if we confess our sins to him, that's God. He, God, okay, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. In other words, John is writing to Christians. Now, some, he's not writing this to lost people. I'm telling you, people who do not know Christ. 1 John 5, 13, which is almost the end of the book of 1 John he says, I'm writing these things to Christians so that they can know they have eternal life. And one of the things people are saying back there to the second generation Christians, if Jesus Christ is Lord, then how come you do those sinful things? And you ever have your mom or dad say that? I remember, I remember a number of times leading young teenagers or older children to Christ and their parents didn't go to church, but I went to the home. I always try to lead people to Christ in front of their mom and dad, even if their mom and dads weren't Christians because I want their parents to hear it also, hear the gospel message, and I'd lead them. And I'm telling you, invariably, again and again and again, I heard parents who did not believe in Jesus Christ or who were immature would look at their children and say, now you know that means you're not going to cuss anymore. Oh, oh, no, no. Why would any Christian say that to another Christian? You're not going to do bad. That's what the Pharisees tried to say. They were the hypocrites who did not love God. Anybody who knows the reality of life knows I still think the thoughts I shouldn't think. Sometimes I do the things I shouldn't do. Sometimes I say the things I shouldn't say. And so John writes to Christians, and he says, I want you to understand, if you confess your sins to God, in other words, confession means this, 
I agree with you, God. That's all confession means. Out of the Greek, it just means, I agree with you, God. If you come to a place, you agree with God. You know, God, the things I said to Laura, I keep justifying. Well, God, she deserved it. All I, I come to the place, I say, God, I agree with you. I shouldn't have said that. You know, the actions you did, you keep justifying. Well, if my mama wouldn't, if my girlfriend wouldn't, if my boyfriend wouldn't, whatever it is, I come to a place and say, you know, God, I agree with you. I shouldn't have done that. God says, when you come to the place, and he sees that, see? He sees that right here. That's how good he is. He sees that right here. That's how much he loves you. Oh, how he loves you and me. And if we come to that place that we agree with God about our sin, our wrong actions, then it says he's faithful and just. In other words, he's not leaving us alone, and he's going to do what a just God does. And just God says, I'm going to hold somebody accountable for that sin. And you know who he holds accountable? He holds Jesus. The Bible says he looks at Jesus, not at my sin. What Jesus did on the cross for my sin. He's faithful. He doesn't abandon me. He's just. He holds all sin accountable. And Jesus is the one who paid for it. So it says he's faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unwickedness. Now let me see if I can illustrate this real quick. And some of you have heard me talk about this because I've talked about it with people of connection and people of Mount Vernon before I was at connection. If God has a marker board in heaven and he writes Mike Davis, I become a Christian, he writes Mike Davis on there, okay? Now, God doesn't have a marker board in heaven, okay? okay? Though the Bible does say your name's written in the book of life, Lamb's book of life, okay? But he writes Mike Davis, and Mike Davis tells a lie, L-I-E, okay? That's a sin. Thou shalt not bear false witness. You shouldn't lie. That's what the, one of the commandments are, okay? And so I tell a lie. I do a sin. Now, I come to a place. You know, I try to justify that sin. Well, I wouldn't have to told that sin if Dad wasn't going to give me in trouble or making a wrong decision. So I just sort of... It's a white lie. See, that's how we explain it. But I come and God's spirit convicts me. I say, you know, God, that lie was wrong. See, I'm confessing. I'm agreeing. I'm sorry for that lie. Really, it's not even saying I'm sorry. It's come to a place God knows. I'm acknowledging. You're right, God. That's wrong. See? God takes his marker and he X's it out. He forgives me, the Bible says. He forgives me of my sin. See, and if I wrote that, that's all the further I would have wrote. But God had John to write, not only does he forgive you, but he cleanses you from all the wickedness. In other words, when God knows, I acknowledge, I agree, that was wrong in my life. He not only forgives, he picks up the big heaven eraser and he erases that word lie and it just becomes dust. That dust can never get back on God's board. Matter of fact, I could take you to other scriptures. That's the hard part about this. I could take you to other scriptures that say he takes our sins as far as the east, wherever the east is. East is from the west, am I right? <laughs> okay. It says he takes them away, never bring them up again. Okay? Now, that's what the word says. That's why I got to trust the word, because Satan keeps trying to remind me what I did whenever I was 15 years old, what I did when I was 16, what I did when I parked when I was 17. Satan keeps trying to tell me what I did. See, and I take God's word. See, he's come to the back door and he says, okay, Mike, if you're a Christian, you got the front door locked, how come you do these things? I had to memorize this verse. I did. I had to memorize it. If you'd been with me, I was a policeman in the military. I'd make sure nobody's around me. I'd turn around whenever I'm having this struggle and I'd make sure nobody's there. Out loud, I'd say, Satan, get off my back. I want to tell you. God said, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. I have told him, I'm sorry it's gone. Boom! The back door is shut. God shuts it. Satan is locked out. How long? Five seconds, five minutes, five hours, five days, five months, five years. You don't think sometimes he doesn't come to the front door of my life and say, do you really think what you did when you were 13 years old? And I say, listen, I'm going to tell you what. I can't go back to 13. He says, but look how bad your life is. Man, you got so mad at Laura and your kids, or, or you got so mad at somebody, or you said the wrong thing, or you did the wrong thing, and he just got both doors open, and he's got me all messed up. And all I can do is I go back, and I quote God's word. Shuts that door. I go over here, and I say, I'm going to tell you, Satan, I don't feel, I don't feel so good about my Christian life. But God says, and I quote, and he shuts the back door. And as long as he knows the words there, he won't keep coming to those areas. See? That's what he does, because he doesn't want you to have any confidence, because if you've got confidence, you'll accomplish what God has you here for. 
I mean, a little boy goes to bat in a baseball game, and as he's leaving the dugout, and he's going up, and he sees that pitcher, and he says, I'm never going to hit this ball. 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 And he gets up there. What's he going to do? He's probably going to strike out. You understand? His feelings will control his attitude, his actions, and his countenance. You sure, Coach, you don't want to put somebody else in? Oh, let me give you a better illustration. Probably what has happened to you. <laughs> the lady gets in the truck. She's supposed to back it up. Big truck. The moving truck. Supposed to back it into the driveway. And she says, I can't do this, honey. I can't do this. She climbs that truck. I can't do this. I can't do this. She starts it up. I can't do this. I can't do this. She tries to get it in the gear. I can't do this. I can't do it. What's she going to do? What? Yeah, she's probably going to hit something. She's not going to do it. You see, because when your feelings are in charge, it affects your attitude, your actions, and your countenance. Matter of fact, she's looking at her husband, and if she hadn't become a Christian yet, she's giving him the finger. She's sticking her tongue out of him. She's doing everything bad. She's saying, a jerk, I don't know why I ever married him. She's doing everything because her countenance, everything is affected. When you let feelings run your life, Jesus knew what it was like to let feelings run your life. In the garden, he says, God, I'm telling you, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to hang on one of those crosses. Is there any way, God, is there any way you can take this off my back? Is there any way? See, he knew feelings. Paul wrote about feelings. The other followers of Jesus wrote about feelings. But Jesus said, you know, God, not my will, but thine be done, yours be done. See, the word, God, I may not feel so good about my Christian life, but I'm telling you, I know there was that commitment I made best I can remember. And if you can't remember it, then make it today. And God, I know I don't, I'm not perfect, and I'm telling you not any of us are. Don't you think there's people sitting here who are perfect? If I don't have any sins on that board, it's only because I've confessed them to God, but let me live another hour or another day, and they'll come. We all struggle. We all struggle. But you've got to close the door. Now look, now they didn't say anything else in Kansas City, but if you were a crook and you couldn't get in the front door because it's locked and you couldn't get in the back door because it's locked and you wanted to get in the house, where would you go next? That's right. You go look for the windows. So I'm going to just be generic here. That wasn't said in Kansas City, lock your windows. You go look for the windows. We know today, they tell us today, many times crooks go into houses because they find an unlocked window, okay? And the windows, the windows are the areas of your life, the areas of your life where you have your biggest struggles. And so Satan will say, okay, you're a Christian. You keep telling me you've commanded your life to Jesus Christ as Lord. Okay, you tell me God has forgiven you your sins. Then he goes around and he says, but how come you can't get rid of that bad language? How come you can't stop looking at those things? How come you can't stop saying that thing how come you can't stop doing that thing see he'll go to that window now how do we shut the front door and lock it what do we use what god's word how do we shut the back door and get it locked use god's word we got to find god's word for those windows you see my life my life what my second issue in my life is worry okay worry is simply not trusting god okay and so i had to memorize a verse and learn a passage of four verses and whenever worry comes i'll quote that verse and i'll i'll meditate on that passage and if that doesn't work i get the bible out and i look at that verse and i look at the passage but you see i've had to use it so much and what happens is god shuts that window locks it keeps saying now how long five seconds five hours five days five months five years I'll keep the word there. That's why memorization is so important to me, folks. Because I'm nothing. I'm a pushover. The devil will beat me every time. I don't care how many New Year resolutions I make. It's only through God's word. So look at the last blank on your message. Or not, not the last. Yeah, the last blank. The next thing Satan does is he says, do not do what God wants. Whatever your window is, Satan says, don't do what God wants. Whatever it is. And you know what's amazing with Christian people? If they've, if they've received any kind of, of spiritual counseling from somebody who uses God's Word, they've applied God's Word to that window. And they, they, found, they found 
the joy of being in a house that's not made a mess because Satan is rummaging around. And boy, it's so comforting. But they get away from the word, and all of a sudden, the window's left unlocked, and Satan opens it again. That's why in three months, four months, three years, you start having those problems again because you remove God's word. You say, I know God's word, but you're not using God's word. See? That's like saying, I know how to drive a car, but I can't get it out of the garage. And what do you say? Have you put the key in, turned it on? Oh, I didn't think of that. I, I hurt my neck. I was on my snowblower, and, and, and it acted sort of silly, and it went real high. It hit something, and, boy, I, I, my feet could have went under. And I jerked my body real quick, and then after I got done, I went, told Laura, I said, man, my neck's hurting. I told her that episode about hour, hour and a half later from the next one. She said, maybe you, you just jerked the wrong way. And so about three hours, I took some, some, some kind of medicine. She gives me whatever. She could kill me. I wouldn't know. But, but, but she gives me some medicine. So about, about three hours later, I said, hey, you know what? It hurts when I do this. So I've learned something. She said, what'd you learn? I learned, don't do this. <laughs> you got it? So what have I learned? If I've got a window where I know it's where Satan attacks me, I find Something in his word that closes it. If I notice he opens it again, it's because I left the word out. Because I know the, the strength he gives me with the word. Don't leave the word out. Don't do that. Don't do that. You see, you probably don't have a lot of major life issues. That's what's great about CR. It will eventually, it starts with something very evident, but it moves you to something that you try to keep hidden. And you probably don't have a lot of major ones. And if you can get God's word on those major life issues, you hate your dad, you hate your uncle, you hate your mom, you hate your brother, you hate that ex-mate, you hate the government, whatever it is, saying it always has thrown you off from being the kind of child of God that you ought to be. You need to get his word. And so I'm just going to go to some major ones because I've met people who have received Christ as Lord, but they've never went any further. And so I want you to to look at Matthew 28. If you have the New Testament, it's page 28. Matthew 28. Look on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Matthew 28. Jesus has died on the cross, laid in the grave, rose from the dead, okay? Now, you and I aren't there. You and I can't prove that. But there were people who nobody, listen, in history, who wrote in the second century, the end of the first century, second century, denies they really lived. There's no one who denies Peter really lived, John really lived, okay? And those people talk about what has happened and what those people said. Away from the Bible, they've talked about it. Okay? And so Jesus has died. He's laid in the grave. He's rose from the dead. He's gone back to be with the Father after walking with his followers for 40 days or around 40 days. Now, just before he's going to go back to heaven, he gives them this Matthew 18, verse, 20, verse 18 through 20. Christians call this the Great Commission because in it is the commission of everything you and I are to do as followers of Jesus. Now, look at it. It's what we should not stop doing. Okay? Look, verse 18. Jesus, he's speaking to those who are his followers. He says, therefore, go. All my, all my followers, go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, he says, the, the thing every one of my followers ought to do is go and teach people to follow me. That's what becoming a disciple meant. Okay, don't have time to describe that from their, their culture. That's what it meant. It meant turning from following something else and now following something else. Jesus says, go and teach people to follow me. That's what, go and invite people to become Christian. That's what he's saying. Go and tell people how I can become their Lord. That's what he's saying. Now, if, if Jesus isn't Lord, that's what you need to do. Because that's the first thing he said followers are to do. So if Jesus isn't your Lord, that's what you need to do. Don't try to read the Bible through, see? Receive Christ as Lord. And if you are a Christian, you should always be trying to do that. Let me tell you. Now, how do we do that? By creating an environment of changed lives. See, you people who are meeting people at the front door, you're seeking to help people understand the comfort of being around people of God. You're helping to create an environment that will make disciples. That's what you do. We had a person here last week that, that one of their main questions when I met them, okay, they'd been out of church for some time, was, how will the people treat me? I said, oh, man, come. I set them up, come. 
if, 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 if you don't have a number of people who speak to you, it's because you either walked by when they were talking to someone else or you hurried in and you hurried out. See, create that environment of making disciples. That's what we're to do. Now, he goes on. He says, he says therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Now, they didn't have nations back then. I want you to understand, that's our English word. They didn't have nations. Don't have time to talk about that. People were labeled as being in groups of, of racial tribes, in a sense. Go and make, make disciples in all the people is what he's saying. Okay? Christianity is not American religion. Somebody says, yes, it is. I'm going to tell you it's the only world religion. Listen to me. It's the only world religion that didn't stay where it began. Only world religion. Because you see, this says you go to all the people. Now, those other religions would go to all the people, but their main headquarters are always where they started. Christianity started in Jerusalem. That's not our main headquarters. That's where people like you, if you got a lot of money, you go over there and you, you travel to. But that's not the main headquarters of Christianity. You know where the main headquarters is? It's those people who are the houses of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God. But he says, go all nations. What does he say? Do the second thing is baptize them. I've met people who say, I'm a Christian, I'm never going to be baptized. Listen, then you're disobedient. The second thing, see, I'm just telling you plainly, do what God wants. Become a follower and then be baptized. If you haven't been baptized as a believer, say, it comes after becoming a follower, then you need to say, I want to be baptized. That's what you need to do. And he says, baptize him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? And then verse 20, teach these new disciples now. What's the third thing? See, this is it. Okay, now let me go back. Number two. We ought to be creating an environment to baptize people. That's why when we have a, a, a dunk party, you know, that's what we call our baptisms at Wren Lake, you ought to make it a priority to be there. See? You ought to create that environment. Oh, I don't want to go see those people being dunked. I don't know them. Hey, <laughs> reason you ought to be there, it's the second thing. We ought to be celebrating that people are doing the second thing Jesus said to do. See? But some of you, 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 you just be honest. You're not going to do what Jesus said. Sounds like Mike's trying to talk you into it. You've got to get baptized, and then for the rest of your time, you ought to be involved in creating an environment that are teaching people to become followers of Jesus and then an environment that's baptizing them. And then he says in verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. In other words, start teaching them to understand the things that I have taught. That's what we do in worship. That's why I spend so much time on the Word. Instead of just giving you my thoughts and ideas. And I try to pull things out of history so that I just validate instead of always trying to tell you my opinion. We are to teach people. So you ought to be in worship and you ought to get involved in a connect group. Everybody ought to get involved in a connect group. Now, we don't have them listed in the message map this week, but they're going to start meeting starting next Sunday and we'll have them listed. You ought to get involved in a connect group or get on the Internet and you can, you can find them because they're identified there under www.connectionmtv.com. See? But you ought to be in worship to learn the things Jesus taught us, and you ought to be in a connect group. But some of you, you see, you see, those are the windows where Satan causes you so much trouble. And you go to connect group, and God will give you verses to shut those windows. But you know better. That's always the problem. I don't feel like I want to go to worship today. I don't feel like I want to go to connect group. I don't want to learn. See, you need to be learning what Jesus has taught us. And where do you learn that from? From people who understand it and are seeking to teach it. They may not be experts, but they give time to try to understand a little bit more to introduce you to it. That's the third thing we're to do. We're, we're, we're become a Christian, a follower of Jesus. We are to be baptized, and we are to be involved in learning the things that he has taught. And if I am a Christian, I am to be involved in helping to teach people to become followers. I am to be involved in baptizing those followers and churches are forgetting that tremendously and i am to be involved creating an environment to teach people i may not be the teacher but i can create the environment by being there stop and think if you go to connect group there's only two people there you and the teacher you say uh-oh i'm not coming back because there's four or five people six people and they treat you with some love and some care you say hey i might come back to this group see you help create the environment Okay, now look how he ends verse 20. Obey all the commandments I've given you and be sure of this. Know this about your spiritual house. Know this about your spiritual house. I, look what he says, I am with you for two days 
I am with you always, even to the end of age. In other words, you give yourself to become a follower of Jesus, help create an environment that teaches people to become a follower. You become baptized as a follower of Jesus, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you create an environment that baptizes people. Okay? And you start learning the things Jesus taught, and you help create environment, okay, that helps people learn these things. Jesus says this, I want you to know I'll always be there in your presence. You want to know if you feel he's a long way off? You've got to get back to what he said. That's his words, not mine. There's a lot of things in the New Testament that speaks of other things about windows, but you see, he just summarized it all. And he says, I will always be there. And you know what Satan will tell you? He'll say, listen, now let's work in feeling. Let's don't work on the word. Let's work in feeling. Don't do that. Let somebody else do that. Let somebody else do that. There are so many Christians who have potential, but they always start something. But in two, three years, they fall away. Man, they always fall in the way. Look. Satan says, let somebody else do that. You don't have time. You know the concerns in your life. You've got to pay attention to those. Don't pay attention about creating an environment to teach people to become followers. Don't pay attention about creating an environment to baptize people. Don't worry about you getting involved in creating an environment to teach people to obey what Jesus talked about. You've got to take care of your life. You've got to make a living. You've got to take care of your own kids. And you wonder then, where are you, God? Where are you? But it is your windows, your doors are all open. Because you don't apply the word of God. The only source of strength as a child of God in the confrontation with Satan is the word of God. Look at one more passage. 2 Timothy 3, 16 17. In the New Testament, it's page 183. If you want to look at it, page 183. Look on the screen. There it is. Verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God. In other words, God's involved in Scripture. I just want you to understand that. God's not involved with Mike Davis. God's not involved with you unless Mike Davis is living Scripture. That's why you'll find some days a pastor does the wrong thing. That's why you some days do the wrong thing. doesn't mean you lose the Holy Spirit, but the involvement of God comes through His Word. Why? Because look what He says the Word does. He says all Scripture is inspired by God and what does it do it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives in other words you see when you come to church when you go to connect group and if you pay attention now you're not carrying the ball game with you you're not carrying your debt with you but you're paying attention to the word for that few minutes God will tell you some truth he will talk to you about what's wrong in your life that's what he does that's what he does with his word. That's why I'm telling you, with connection, I'm able to do things I never was able to do in a traditional church. Because traditional church likes to hear people's opinions. The word, it teaches us what's true. It tells us what's wrong in our lives. Look what it says. What does it do? It corrects us when we're wrong. That's why some people say, I don't want to go to church. They don't feel good, and they know if they go to church, it's going to correct them. So they say, I'm not going to church today. It corrects us when we are wrong, and teaches us to do what is right. That's what the Word does. That's why it's so important. Listen, I've invited some of you, men, and we got women now who would do this, to get involved with me or other men or other women who have learned to mentor. And you know when they mentor, all they're going to do is try to bring the Word into your life. And they do it in such a kind and comfortable and non-judgmental and very compassionate way. Because you see, it's the Word that makes the difference. In the traditional church, we didn't have time because we had all these committees and all these activities and all these conferences. And I'm telling you, those people 20 years later are no different. No different. It's a Word. Now, what does it do? Look at the end of that, the end of verse 17. God uses it, that's the Word, to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. That's what he does. You know, it's amazing how many people will say they know the word, they, they've studied the Bible, they've read the Bible, they've been to all the conferences, and yet you find them. Are they really involved in creating that environment that are teaching people to become followers of Jesus? Are they really involved in creating that environment that's baptizing people? Are they really involved in creating that environment that is teaching people to obey the commands of Jesus? 
feelings say, I'm a good Christian. Their actions say, you're shooting a lot of blanks, aren't you? You see, it's the Word that makes all the difference. Today, I invite you to do what God wants. Take your message map and turn to the inside page that says connection card. The inside page. Look at the second line. Under, after it says first time, second time, third time, look at the next line. I want to become a fo- Christ follower. If you're not a child of God, if you're not a Christian, if Jesus Christ is not Lord, I ask you to check that. I ask you to check that. Look at the third line. I am a Christ follower. I want to be baptized. If you're a Christian and you've not been baptized, then you need to check that line. See, I'm asking you to do what God wants. Satan's going to tell you, no, don't. I'm asking you to do what God wants. Look at the last line. It's a blank line. Look at the line just above it. Today I pray to become a, Christ, a Christ follower. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. If you are not a Christian, I'm going to pray some words. Magic's not in the words. The, the power is in the God, I mean this. And he knows it. Say, Satan's going to tell you you didn't mean it. Matter of fact, some of you might have prayed and asked Jesus in your life, and Satan's telling you now you didn't mean it. That's why you've got to learn the word. But if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, then today I'm going to lead in a prayer. And the words I'm going to say are some words that I said when I became a Christian. And if you want to receive Christ, I ask you to pray this prayer. Would everybody just bow their heads? Father, you pray this prayer with me, folks, as I pray it. Father, who is the God of heaven, I've heard things that's made me realize I need Jesus as the Lord of my life. God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I know I have done things that are not right. And I'm sorry. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. That he died on the cross for me, for my sins. And that he rose from the dead. God, I want to rise today and begin living for Him as my Lord. Thank You for saving me. Thank You for allowing me to have a relationship with You. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you, if you would, just to mark that down there. Now listen, if you marked anything on there, I need you to write your name, today's date, your name, your address, your phone number, email, some way I can get contact with you. You tear that off, you put that in the box. We won't pick up that box right away. And this week, I'm going to be contacting you. Not going to hassle you, just going to ask you got any questions, I'm going to talk with you, okay? And then if you want to meet, we'll meet. If not, we'll just talk through the email, over the phone, whatever. But I need you to do that if you've marked it. Did we have a question in regard to the sermon? We do? Oh, okay. Then let's just bow together, and I'm going to lead us in prayer, and we're done. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these people and their attention. Thank you for creators of videos that speak to us in a very visual way. Father, we thank you for your word, the power that's there. We thank you for your spirit that enlightens us and encourages us and empowers us. Father, we just ask you to help us. Help us to learn your word. Help us to live your word. Help us to share your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Place we stand, he's God.